0: Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the Ladders Podcast. Lampladders is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word, and we are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Psalms. This week, we are leaping off into a new part of the Psalms, book, book three, if you're counting. Um. It's very dark. It mm-hmm. uh, questions God's justice. It does have rays of light of God's presence piercing through the darkness, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty dark book. Mm-hmm. Mercifully, it's also very brief, uh, just 16 Psalms. And interesting to me, this book of Psalms contains most of the ones that Asaph r- wrote mm-hmm. that are attributed to him.
1: And who is Asaph, Jan? Well, <laughs>
0: now that you asked that, he was a man who— who um, got to sound the symbols, play mm-hmm. the cymbals before mm-hmm. the Ark of the Covenant whenever it was moved. And he and his family were one of three families uh, given the responsibility for music and song in the temple. He was a musician, obviously an, a writer of mm-hmm. songs, maybe a prophet, and one of the great worship leaders of the Old Testament. So that's Asaph and a brief review mm-hmm. of... Book three of the Psalms, where are we going today, Lynn?
1: Well, I love all of those descriptions, and it's also important to remember that he worked with King David. Mm-hmm. He was one of King David's main men. So the other thing that I want to note before we start is that, as you said, we really are in a, in a dark place, and these are called Psalms of Lament. Um, it's a real down-and-out cry to God. And we can learn a great lesson in how to turn to God in times of trouble. But I'm going to come back to that in a bit.
0: Okay, you're going to start with definitions, Yes.
1: (laughs) Well, yes. And I'm going to start with the title of our lesson today, which is Doubt and Disbelief. And that's what will lead us into our definitions. Okay. So according to Webster, doubt is a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction, while disbelief is an inability or refusal to accept that something is true or real. So I read these definitions, and I was like, okay. But then when I was doing some more studying, I came across Warren Wiersbe's definitions of these same words, and I I actually prefer them for this lesson today. So he sees doubt as something that comes from a struggling mind, while unbelief comes from a stubborn will that refuses to surrender to God. Hmm. An unbelieving person will not believe, while a doubting person struggles to believe. And I think I like these because they are great descriptive words for how I so often feel. Yeah. Yeah, those
0: descriptions make those two words a little bit more personal. Right. And mm-hmm. I can identify more with Wearsby's definitions. Mm-hmm. One is will not. Right. And the other is
1: struggles, too. Right. Yeah, that's very helpful because I've been in both those places of course. like you have. I think we all have. Sure. Okay, so now that we have our definitions worked out, I want to look at the two questions that these psalms brought up for me when mm-hmm. I was reading them. The first question is, what makes us doubt? And the second question is, what do we do about it?
0: Those are good questions.
1: Yeah. So let's go back to that definition of unbelief as a stubborn will that refuses to surrender to God. So from as far back as I can remember, the word stubborn has clung to me like gum to the bottom of a shoe. Yuck. <laughs> and while I will often try and glorify it by calling it tenacity or determination, more often than not, it's just willful, willfulness and me wanting to have my own way. Um, One thing I remember in particular from childhood is how many times I was the last one at the dinner table. The kitchen would be fully cleaned. My siblings would be off watching TV. But not me. I was still sitting at the table in front of my plate of peas that I refused to eat. (laughs) I mean, you'd think I would learn, but I didn't. Uh, That is a strong (laughs) will. (laughs) Yeah, and another thing, I always hated wearing shoes. Well, I mean, you know, if you're around the house, it's fine, but most of the time, a child needs to have shoes on. So they'd put my shoes on, and as soon as they put them on me, I would take them off. And you can imagine, that would get me into a lot of trouble, but my willfulness, just I was just so stubborn. I was just like... I don't want these shoes on and I would take them off. You know, my children believed that if God wanted you to wear shoes, you would have been born with them. Well, obviously I thought that too. And that went on for years. (laughs) And I will say, while my stubbornness was very visible and obvious to everyone when I was a child, these days, I think I do a much better job of hiding it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it might surprise some people who know me that I am that stubborn. But trust me, it's still there. And for me... It all stems from that little pronoun, I. That's what gets me into so much trouble, whether it's thinking I know what's best, or I want this, or I need that. It's just I, I, I.
0: Well, I do know you as an adult, and it is kind of hard for me to believe that you're <laughs> that stubborn, but since you keep telling me, yes. you are and were, I mean, I have this picture of you sitting at the table refusing to eat your peas. When I was little, I was too much of a people pleaser Mm -hmm. or read daddy pleaser if you want to uh, for that kind of stubborn, overt rebellion. Uh, But trust me, I was pretty stubborn on the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother always said it was a challenge to break my will without breaking my spirit.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I challenged her in a lot of ways. I'm sure. I think we all (laughs) challenge our parents. So thinking about all of this led me to my answer for the first question, why do we doubt? Well, for me personally, it's because I am focused on the wrong thing. Usually that means I'm focused on myself in some way. Mm. Maybe because of this issue, what stood out to me about Psalm 73 are the pronouns. And I want to follow them for a minute because I think it's a great example that's going to teach us Maybe how to avoid doubt and stay in a close relationship with God. The psalm starts out, you'll notice that very first verse um, Asaph is acknowledging who God is and what a great God he is. And that's absolutely how we should always start. But then notice what quickly happens right there in verse two. We see where Asaph is personally, he is frustrated. And indicating that he might be giving up on his beliefs. He has clearly been paying attention to what is going on around him and has seen a disturbing pattern, which has him asking his own question. And it's an important question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Mm -hmm. You know, he's seen that all these wicked people around him who are refusing to follow God and believe in in God's commandments, they're prospering. They're the elite. Really, when you look at it, they're the wealthiest. They're doing whatever they want. Just look at the verses 3 through 12, and you'll get a description of what their lives look like. Now, these people are even arrogant towards God, which is making no sense to Asaph. Shouldn't God be punishing them? Instead, (laughs) it seems like he's rewarding them. Seeing how those against God are living so grandly and doing whatever they want, it's making Asaph wonder if he's on the wrong side of Mm -hmm. this thing. Has he chosen the wrong team? Has he been wasting his time? You know, he's wondering, is it worth it to walk with God? He's just questioning everything.
0: Sure, because of what he sees around him. Yeah. And, you know, if if we're honest— Asaph, is really asking our own question. Oh, yes. You know, how do those who are living contrary to all of God's instructions not just get away with it, but actually prosper in it? And I say that. Uh, hesitantly because we are not supposed to judge who the wicked are. Right. But sometimes it's so clear you
1: can't help it. And you're like, well, how come he's getting all the blessing and I'm not? Well, and I think in this case, the wicked are, he, has, he, he knows who the wicked are because yeah. he's calling the wicked the people who do not believe in God and follow his ways. Right. So that's who he's calling them. So we can see right now that Asaph was dangerously close to falling into the trap of loving the world and the things that are in the world. You know, it seems like he's no longer concerned about the sin of the successful people, but instead he has started focusing on what the successes of those sinful people are and Mm -hmm. what they're enjoying. And guess where this leads him?
0: It's (laughs) down the wrong path. (laughs) Yeah,
1: to that straight into the green-eyed monster envy. Look at verse three, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking at these openly wicked sinners and it looks to him like God is blessing their lives. Notice that his pronouns in this part of the psalm are they and I because he's playing the comparison game Mm -hmm. and nothing makes anyone more envious than comparison because his focus is on what they have and what he doesn't have and what he wants. When Asaph is troubled, By the fate of the ungodly in verses 1 through 12, the dominant pronoun is they. And when he describes his own frustrated thinking leading to the resolution in verses 13 through 17, the dominant pronoun is I. Those pronouns tell us a lot. They do. Yeah. So if envy is what comes up when you spend your time comparing yourself and others to to life circumstances, then It's going to leave you feeling left out and deprived every single time because you're never going to have what everybody else has. Nobody has what everybody else has. Mm -hmm. And that leads to, I want what you have.
0: Well, and I think it can be actually worse than that, Lynn. Envy is, I want
1: what you have uh, and I don't want you to have it. Exactly. There's like a meanness, uh, you know, to it. So we see that Asaph was eaten up with jealousy. And what that has done is it has spiraled into doubting God, doubting God's presence, doubting God's promises, doubting God's provision. He feels like he's doing everything right, but he's not getting any of the good stuff in return. Mm. And haven't we all felt like that at some point in our lives? If we're honest. Yeah, in the dark times of life, whatever they may be, and whether we admit it or not, there's something in us that nudges us towards challenging God towards questioning his decisions and his character are you really there god i don't feel you and this uneasiness can gradually lead us away from god away from his word away from his people and you know it may reach a level of anger and bitterness but it might be very subtle but it will have the same result and that is it erodes our faith and our trust and it leads us Into doubt. And it's important to notice that Asaph is acknowledging this envy. And when he does, this psalm actually turns into a brutally honest confessional Mm -hmm. because it's straight from his heart to that very God that he felt was giving him the short end of the stick. He took his doubts and confusion to God in prayer. He didn't pretend everything was okay. Instead, he went to God with his complaints and with his true feelings.
0: This is a brilliant example, yet again, mm-hmm. of someone who is being completely transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way lays, Asaph lays it all out. He's just brutally honest uh-huh. in, in putting his personal feelings, bitterness and all, before the Lord. But the, the hope in this for me is that he is still addressing that's the Lord, mm-hmm. that, that, which indicates to me that he is still struggling to understand why and mm-hmm. what's going on around him because it seems so unfair, mm-hmm. but he hasn't given up yet. Even though he's filled with doubt, he is still turning toward God.
1: Yeah, and that's, um, that brings us right to the middle of his complaining and the, the thing that happens in verse 15. He actually stops to consider the impact of what he is saying. Mm on the people around him. It's almost like this bold confession he has made to God has shocked him back into reality. You know, he remembers that he has influence on those around him, and he's cautious. He doesn't want to lead others into these same feelings of doubt that he's having. So instead of walking away like he was thinking of doing, he turns and he walks into the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And this is a turning point for him, both literally And spiritually. You know, those first 16 verses are nothing but complaints and outrage and doubt until he changes his focus. And this is when that I pronoun becomes a you pronoun, and he starts to focus on who God is. God is the you in this psalm. Now, remember in that very first verse, he acknowledged who he knows God to be, And when he changes his perspective from his own worldly view back to God's eternal view, everything changes. He recognizes that the things that he thought were of value, these things that the wicked are enjoying, were only temporary, they're material things, versus what he was counting on, which was eternity with God. And we can begin to see his understanding and resolution emerge as he comes to realize that he's been asking the wrong questions. It was okay to ask those questions, but God is changing his heart to see that they're the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. He looks at God. He gets his eyes off of himself and off of the world, and he focuses upward upward where he should have been focused all the time. As he's focusing on God, his thinking changes. His perspective shifts from his head to his heart. From worldly to eternal. And once he realizes that he still believes in God, who God is, who God says he is, what he's promised, all of those things, he still believes that. The dominant pro- pronoun is you, again, meaning God. So he changes his complaints and doubts to praise because he focuses on all that God has already done and what he again believes that God will be doing. When he Proclaims this assurance of his faith and his fellowship with God in verses 23 through 28. The dominant pronouns are a mixture of you and I. And isn't that a beautiful way to pray? Even though the I is still in there, it's not focused on himself, it's focused on him with God. It's Mm -hmm. the two of them together. It's a relationship. That's right, because he realized that God was always with him, even in his doubt. It was he who was walking away. It wasn't God who was walking away. Mm. So do you see the pattern here? We start out in that first verse, there's faith. He knows who God is. And then it gets all turned and crazy and he starts doubting. But then it goes back to that faith and he's praising and worshiping God again. And that's a pattern that I've seen so many times in my own life. And unfortunately, I'm sure I will see them again. But it's a pattern that God can handle, and that's what I need to remember. Just when we think God is nowhere to be found, it just takes that shift in perspective to Mm -hmm. realize He's always there, and He's always closer than we think, and He's always around. But we can only see that when that I perspective changes to you or you and I. We have to get our our eyes off of ourselves, Mm -hmm. our problems, our wants and lacks, and off of what everyone else seems to have. And, and we, when we do that, we can realize how blessed we are just for having him. Mm-hmm.
0: This psalm reminds me of where we started. It's an echo of Psalm 1. Remember when we talked about those two paths? Mm-hmm. That's what Asaph is talking about here. Yeah, um, He realizes as he shifts his focus mm-hmm. that the two contrasting lives he's talking about in this psalm have two contrasting destinations right one will be near to God and have a relationship with God Mm -hmm. the other will be separated from God right and these are both for eternity so what I see happening to Asaph here in this psalm is that he chooses to believe what he can't see Mm -hmm. in other words God and his promises and his relationship with Asaph versus what he can see which are, you know, the prosperity of those people who aren't living according to God's instructions and who are rebelling against God. He can see that. We Mm -hmm. can all see that in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. But being in relationship with God is definitely worth more than all of this, than Mm -hmm. all the world has to offer, regardless of how it appears at times, Mm -hmm. that unbelievers seem to get along without a care in the world. It is worth it. To choose the other path, right? As you mm-hmm. mentioned, that is a faith arc yeah. that we all have to travel.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, if, if we don't, we're not being real about our faith. Right. It's, it goes from faith through bitterness and doubt to questioning, maybe to anger, mm-hmm. and then to reorientation, mm-hmm. praise, and your faith restored and strengthened. And mm-hmm. we all have to go on that road. Otherwise, our faith is not our faith. It belongs to somebody else. So I guess by way of encouragement to anybody who's listening to us today, I would just say, if you're doubting, express that rage yeah. and ask questions and praise God. Yeah. Keep wrestling because there will be a blessing at the end of that wrestling. And yeah. it's so worth it.
1: Well, and, and the other thing to remember is it's not a one-time deal, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that will continue to happen over and over in life. Um, you know, we think we've got it all under control, and then something yeah. shifts our perspective, and we're, we find ourselves back in the, the ditch again, and we have to <laughs> dig ourselves out. Okay, but what about Psalm okay. 77? All right, let's go to Psalm 77, um, because it has a lot of these same issues. Um, the psalmist is just really lamenting, um, and he's lamenting because he's been crying out to God, and he's not hearing anything back. Hmm. Um, Again, we have that I pronoun as the focus. He's filled with self-pity, and he begins to question God. You know, again, he has a moment when he changes his complaints to questioning God, and guess what? Once again, (laughs) God can handle it. And in that questioning, that bold, honest questioning, Asaph begins to remember who God has always been and all the ways that God has already saved his people and kept his promises. His doubt is washed away, and in its place comes worship and praise. Once again, his eyes turn into yous, and God is given all the glory and praise. Mm. And who among us hasn't had at least one experience of turning to God in some moment of desperation, of praying, of asking God to help, and finding nothing happening? Yeah. It's like finding all the doors shut. And having no way out. When we don't get that help we crave and we need so desperately, our hearts start asking us why. And that doubt floods into our minds. And we kind of start to wonder, what is wrong? And I'm not just saying what is wrong with me. I'm saying what is wrong with God? Exactly, because this
0: is a situation he clearly could intervene That's in right. and he's not intervening. So what's going on? That's
1: right. But you know what, Jan? That's why we're in the Psalms it, this year. Absolutely. We are shown how to take everything to God, even jealousies, fears, and complaints. You know, if we keep them to ourselves, they just steer us away from him and result in doubt. Only when we can turn our thoughts, and our minds to Him? Can we remember who He is and whose we are? You know, our days of trouble have to become days of prayer. When we feel Mm. alone, when it feels like God has withdrawn from us, that's when we must be more determined to seek Him until we find Him. You know, it's that habit that needs to be formed in good times so that there's that muscle mm-hmm. memory when we hit the bad times. Yeah, when we hit
0: the bad times. Yeah. Our days of trouble must become days of prayer. I yeah. love that. Yeah, um, All of that is true. Uh-huh. And and there's another added element to this particular psalm that deserves our attention. It's it's related to, similar to last week. Uh-huh. Um, we need to remember that these, because it's our tendency, the I, 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 yeah. it's our tendency to read them as individual, mm-hmm. all of these things. Mm-hmm. But... This lament was written as a community lament. Right. It had personal implications. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: David's psalm last week was written as a personal lament. Yes. With community implications. So we always need to keep the community of God in mind. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, the people of God are in a really desperate situation, and we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. The description is very general. It can't be tied to any specific occasion. But because it is so vague, mm-hmm. it's universal. That's right. So it applies to the church today and to us today. Mm-hmm. And the, the second thing to note uh, is that Asaph is so desperate he can't sleep. <laughs> now I don't know if you've uh, ever been there. Only a few but times. I mean, how many hours of sleep have I? Lost? So why is he so full of doubt? Mm. If he knows who God is, why is he so full of doubt that he can't sleep? I got to thinking about that and. It, Realizing in my own times Mm -hmm. when I'm tossing and turning and losing sleep is because I'm afraid. Yeah. And Asaph remembers when things were good and they aren't good anymore. Mm -hmm. And so he is expressing this primal fear that he had the relationship at one time and now he's afraid that he and the people of God have been abandoned by God. And he doesn't understand. It's an echo of what David was saying in Psalm six last week a desperate situation has led Asaph to the conclusion that God might be silent because of some sin of the people. Mm. And probably in Israel's unfaithfulness to Yahweh, that seemed to be their besetting sin. Uh-huh. And I don't want to say that every difficult situation is because of our own sin. Right. But all, these kinds of psalms are an invitation to us to examine that mm-hmm. and think about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the reason we know that is that there's this implicit call to repentance in verse 9. All of these lament psalms are an invitation to the people of God and us to examine our hearts and see if we are in any way adding to the problem of God's silence. And you know, his Holy Spirit will convict us if oh, we yes. are. We are mm-hmm. sure of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, what we read in this psalm is really a dark night of the soul. Yeah. And what you noted. Asaph pulls himself back from that brink by remembering God's faithfulness of the past. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you're counting pronouns, I'm counting other words, Mm -hmm. remember and meditate are key words that he repeats over and over Mm -hmm. and over. Remember and meditate. We are to remember and meditate on God's character and his actions. In other words, turn towards God, not towards our problem, as you have said so beautifully earlier. Not just as individuals, but as a church too
1: yeah thanks for thanks for pulling that out, Jan, because um, we we address this at the very very beginning of psalms, and I think it's a good reminder that these psalms are so full. Cool. I mean we've picked out what we want to talk about this week, mm-hmm. but you can just read these over and over again, and there are going to be threads that run through all of them, and you know the good news is we're going to come back to communal lament and personal lament, but this is a good thing for us to get You're focused are going to do on, it again. <laughs> yeah, we get to do it again later, but this is a good thing for us to get that in our minds because uh-huh. it's important. Okay, so I want to end with just two more thoughts. <clears throat> I was listening to a devotional one day and it said we need to give up fruitless self-preoccupation. <laughs> I was on a walk and it literally stopped me in my tracks. Mm. Isn't that a great Description of being focused on the wrong thing. Yeah, sure. But I can justify what is fruitless and what isn't. So (laughs) well, I don't know. I'd have to think think about that one. I think it's the self-preoccupation more than the fruit or the fruitlessness. (laughs) But anyway, it just, it gave me, I mean, I've really been thinking about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good thing for all of us to think about if what, if our problems are really just self-preoccupation. Exactly. The other thing that I've been um, referring back to for years is an acrostic that I ran across I don't even know when. And it's for the word ego, E-G-O. And it is said that ego is edging God out. I have heard that before. And it's really easy to remember
0: Ah, that when you're using the I word, Uh that's your ego talking. That's right. That's right. right. Um, There's one more important thing to me that I want to point out out of these Psalms is that when the people of God remember His mighty deeds and his past faithfulness, they invariably turn to the Exodus story. That's what Asaph does, right, in this this particular psalm. And what that tells me is our salvation stories are important to remember and to share as a way of encouraging and building up not only our own faith, but the faith of others. Mm -hmm. And so, once again, I would like our listeners to really think about their salvation stories, ask themselves— how did Jesus bring me out of slavery yeah. through the waters of salvation into that promised land with him? And then share that story because it'll build up your faith. It'll build up somebody else's faith. Mm-hmm. And it'll be the what Asaph warned himself against by concentrating on this problem. Uh-huh you won't cause somebody else to stumble. You'll bring somebody else along.
1: That's right. And so, I also think when you share your story, it encourages other people to share their story. Absolutely, so it's absolutely. A, it's a, so think about your salvation story. chain reaction. Okay. In addition to thinking about your salvation story, there are two things that I want our listeners to spend some time thinking about. And the first one is, I think, a really tough one. And that is, what do you do when your beliefs clash with your reality
0: that is such a good question yes, yes I have story after story about that if anybody wants to know they can ask me yeah
1: and then the second thing is how do you hold to the conviction that God is good when life is hard oh those are great
0: questions Lynn what do you do when your theology clashes with reality? And how do you hold onto the conviction that God is good when life is hard? And we've all faced those questions, whether we want to admit it or not. That's right. They're excellent points to ponder. Okay. Until next time.